Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things, the podcast. I'm Macy. I'm Naomi. And we are two anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. And Sarah, our occasional, may pop in. We're not sure where she is, but she, she has the link, so she can join at any time. Right, right. I just realized as I was checking in that I'm still working on getting my voice back. Like there's still struggles on some high notes. Macy. Um, I was sick for a while. Like it took a long time. I completely lost my voice for probably two, two. Were you eating enough elderberries? Oh, I started the elderberry regiment. Um, that was kind of when, as things uh, had gotten worse and then I got better. So uh, I then went and bought like the chewable gummies and those Mm -hmm. are first of all, delicious, delicious, right? Delicious. And Flintstone gummies are no better than the Flintstone vitamins, by the way. Um, than they were back then. I was like, oh, maybe they're better, but they're like hard and not a good gummy texture or flavor. I was disappointed. That's all. I never, yeah, I didn't ever like the texture. It's almost kind of like dog food. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, that's completely unrelated to the topic. Completely unrelated. All right. Completely unrelated. Uh, So today I'm going to talk about, and this I started as we do down a little rabbit trail um i was kind of exploring a bit about um something in the realm just in case i use it later i'm not gonna say in the realm of like the medical um field and then i tripped upon a a info thing i don't know a stat perhaps um (laughs) that took me down this trail and i'm gonna talk about solitary confinement and oh my gosh, I was going to do a topic on this. I'm so glad you're doing this. It's fascinating. Okay, so, right. I'm going to talk about the neurobiology that's involved around being confined. Um, so I don't know, my list. Good. I mean, if I'm going the angle that you were going to go, because there, there could be other angles. Um, and then uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about how the U.S. government handles that, how they view it, and how states handle it. So, uh I think this is very interesting, first of all, because we just, you know, finished COVID uh, and isolation and people being home. And I've, I found multiple articles talking about the difference between loneliness, which is the kind of the imposition of social isolation and aloneness, which is the choice of being alone. Mm. And the brain reacts very differently in those situations. Loneliness or that social isolation um, was a big part of the the whole epidemic and lasted a few years. And it did uh, impact people's brains, uh, leading to things like depression, mood disorders, increased um, and even uh, increase in current mental health symptoms like suicidality um, that may go along with folks who already have that. How about just general politeness? I think people forgot how to be <laughs> humans with each other. Right, right. How to etiquettes, etiquettes and not feeling like a burden. But, you know, like just. So the difference is that choice. Like I'm choosing this versus I'm put in the situation. Well, and but alone. So loneliness was kind of put upon people aloneness is a choice so some people were like i love this i love being alone and they embrace that and they were fine um perhaps or that happens in other settings um both of those though had 
what studies showed was that any ill effects could be reversed if appropriate social interactions were reestablished and or social activities. So those are actually different hmm. than if someone does not have an option. So it's like just add water, just add humans and you'll return to your former shape. Right. So with solitary confinement, there is no option. There is no control. There is no hope. There is no, this will get better. And that has been shown to have a completely different impact on the brain than the other. Give us some stats. I got stats. I'd love to know. Yeah. Like how often this is still happening and all that. Well, and first, though, I'm going to share uh, about Robert King. He was an ex-inmate um, who was in solitary confinement for 29 years. He talked about his experience. Um, he, uh, he he shared with a room full of neuroscientists to help uh, be part of this study that was done in 2018. He was confined in a six by nine uh, foot cell for uh, almost those 30 years with limited contact and limited exercise. Why? Uh, for like, what was the reason? That's part of, that's part that this doesn't really go into because like his crimes or anything like that. Um, but that, that was his, his punishment was to be in solitary confinement. So, but he, which he was later released for. I mean, it seems like we're getting into the area of like cruel and torture and violating. Uh, You'll be very interested to hear what that what that actually is defined as. So, yeah, I would. I'm interested. (laughs) I'm sure you would, (laughs) and we will, and we will. (laughs) So, what these neuroscientists have found is that, I mean, first of all, everyone's like, "Gosh, this must must not be good (laughs) for the brain." I mean. Probably oh, they seem really smart. I mean, right, right off the, the bat the with smartest. that. Neuroscientists. They're That's the a winning hypothesis right there. Correct. So he said, I'm turning your volume up because I enjoy hearing you. Okay. There we go. Um that made me really happy. <laughs> he he said that he could he knew and could tell his brain was changing over time. And I was like, just that statement made me like, mm, that's horrifying. Like just that. And and I think many people who experience significant mental health change, changes, um, maybe like start experiencing symptoms of psychosis, for example. Like you start feeling that like, okay, this is different. Why did that happen? This is scary. What do I do? Right. I don't feel like myself. Right. Right. Um. I didn't want to act like that, or I didn't remember acting like that. So he started to notice. Um, so this finally, when he was released, he had trouble recognizing faces. Wow. He like actually recognizing people's faces. And we've talked about that before in some other um about facial recognition type stuff, about how like happy and sad and um you've talked about like the mirror neurons and all those things and staring in the mirror remember the stranger right, the right, right. stranger how you don't even recognize right. yourself after staring in the mirror for a little while right so whew, sorry my scotch is strong um, maybe you're not and, as classy as 
<laughs> no, no, no. I thought maybe I threw that compliment onto you a little. I'm not classy. I'm just trying a new thing. This is, um, so, right. So the, that part of the brain is now completely out of whack. He actually had to go through like a retraining process um, in order to retrain his eyes. So like just the physical process of his eyes to recognize what facial features um, look like and to get his brain to recognize and categorize that quickly enough to process it. Hmm. And imagine how hard that is. Like we talk, we've talked about, um, uh, you know, people being institutionalized and recidivism rates where people go back into prison settings and if something like that, I mean, it's literally rewiring how your brain processes information and takes it in. Yeah. I mean, with neuroplasticity, I mean, any experience is going to change our brain. So um, also, he said his entire sense of direction was messed up. So he couldn't like just like a simple route to get home. His brain couldn't process like okay, left and then right, and then down a few blocks. Like his brain couldn't follow those kind of directionals anymore. Again, when you're in a setting where you have no context. Right. It's like being inside a casino. Or Walmart. Yes. Right. It's just, and, and like bright. How do I get out of here? Bright, bright lights, small room, limited engagement with other people. Um, and like, creative ways of punishing people you know maybe getting um like your toothbrush one day but no toothpaste or like maybe you get soap but nothing to put it on you know like they're they're the guards can be very creative in how they make that non-pleasurable which is the intent mm. so especially if you act like it doesn't bother you Okay, so his brain had actually, what the neuroscientists had found, had actually erased all of those uh, capabilities. They were no longer necessary for survival when he was in the cell. So um, he, which was no bigger than the back of a pickup truck, so he, his brain started to just kind of trim off any sort of neurons that related to direction, um, memory recall and uh facial recognition so what grew i mean what was like the, the essential functions for that mm -hmm. environment my brain instantly just thought of like mole people <laughs> like when you oh yeah maybe <laughs> you developed some echolocation skills i mean that was not in my research but that's <laughs> that's where my brain went i i watched avatar and they have like the mole things and like that Anyways, um, okay. <laughs> so, okay. Sorry, my screen went dark. Okay, the areas that it did increase were what do you think? What do you think? I mean, I'm thinking small space. You wouldn't maybe detecting like sounds from far away, like who's coming and what's going on like outside your space. I don't know. Right. So like, see but, it, but that might be very important to know, like, oh, they're bringing my food now or something. Right. So that's the actually the amygdala increases in activity, which is that fear and anxiety because it has has you like hone in on um, and be attentive to 
minor changes that are happening immediately around you. And the that sustained stress of extreme isolation leads to a loss of uh, hip, uh, activity in the hippocampus, and um, which is related to learning, memory, spatial awareness, and it decreases the formation of new neurons in the brain. An eventual failure completely in that functioning of the hippo, uh, hippocampus. So it will actually just stop. And uh, with that increase in fear and anxiety, now you think about that person then just gets released and they get to leave. How about language skills? Were they impacted since you're not really talking to other people? I mean, I, I, I'm sure that probably has, has to do with, um, some of the, maybe the learning and memory parts. Um, I'm sure there's even just a cultural adjustment too, especially like for him, he was, um, away for so long knowing how to engage social cues, all of that would be really, really hard. So there were studies on mice that showed that just one month of isolation caused a decrease of 20% in total volume of neurons in the brain. Um, but researchers saw that the remaining neurons were branching out more than those mice that were not isolated. When the isolation went on longer, up to three months, researchers saw that the extra branching of the neurons was no longer happening. And that in exchange, spines, which are structures that neurons develop to place the machinery to communicate to each other, were greatly diminished. So what does that mean? The branching that took place in the first month um, of isolation represents some sort of compensation that the brain is trying to overcome the deficit. It's trying to find a way to cope um, and prevent a detrimental effect. So it's trying really hard. But when it went on for too long, then that stops. And the trigger, it triggers a loss of neural communication um, in the form of, of um, those spine communication elimination. So now the neurons stop communicating with each other. They have stopped um, trying to navigate a way out, navigate a way to survive. Did you at least get books. Um, I have heard that that's a thing. Yeah. At least that's some kind of stimulation. Right. But that's not even, um, so this is saying isolation itself in, in confinement where there is no choice does this regardless of having the books or stimulation. So it within itself is causing this damage. And so if you're, it's impacting your learning and memory, are you going to be able to read and have that actually be impactful over a long period of time? I think I would start talking to myself. I mean, then you're going to have <laughs> a different conversations with myself. <laughs> so I thought that was really fascinating. Um, and I remember there was a study way back, another mice study one where they put the mice in a bucket of water, really horrible study, but they put mice in a bucket of water and um, every, so one group, they would take them out of the water on occasion and put them back in and they swim and they swim and they swim in circles and, and they're exhausted. Um, but they're the ones who got out on occasion and then went back in um, had lower stress levels. Uh, then obviously the ones who were put in and there was no intermittent 
it was just like at the very end they were pulled out. It was just like this, once you have no hope that you will be removed, um, it just changes your ability, your brain's ability to process how to cope with it. Yeah. That learned hopelessness. Yeah. And that's, and I think it's more neurological than people give it credit for. I think it's very much chalked up to choice. Like, oh, you're choosing not to make good choices or you're choosing to react badly. That's blaming people for their trauma responses. Right. Mice, poor mice. I know. <laughs> it's like, poor guy. Hello, <laughs> mice. Um, but yeah, and it's, I mean, you, again, like if this were, visibly seen physical disabilities it would not be even questioned it would just be oh yeah that has a horrible impact how can we help i just saw i saw sarah message i don't know if you saw no <laughs> so it has that sensory yeah. deprivation part go ahead it's okay <laughs> um he's probably so, not joining um, us it sounds like probably the small cells are isolated. Um, they're windowless. Um, typically, they're entitled to one hour of exercise. Sometimes that doesn't happen if there's a busy schedule, though, at the prison. The sensory deprivation, this is all per King um, King's report from earlier. The sensory deprivation uh, contributes to important health and impairments, such as alterations in circadian rhythm so sleep cycles biological clocks that regulate from sunlight and that just all out of whack um solitary confinement according to neurological research is a punishment it is not so much a punishment but closer to a form of torture it has serious consequences for neurological health and um the research really is still fairly new into this. I mean, this was 2018. So there's a lot of attention um, or it calls for a lot of attention into how one science is integrated into law or how it isn't and how emotional injuries are recognized mm -hmm. or not recognized because right now they're really not. So 29 years seems really extreme. Is that typical? I mean, I probably not typical, probably not the standard, but um, cause sometimes it'll be uh, to, you know, protect someone from someone else's threat. Sometimes it's for um, bad behavior and it's a, like a period of time. Um, but some people are in that, you know, that for whatever reason that is their, whole time will be in there. So I think it depends probably on the prison and um, whether it's max, maximum security or in uh, what type of offend, offending unit. So according to the United States government, solitary confinement is not cruel and unusual. As our government said that? Okay. It is, I mean, our government does it. So it says it is cruel. It is cruel and unusual if one or more of these accompanying material conditions result in a necessary infliction of pain upon an individual. So here we go. This requirement is met when such conditions involve a, quote, deprivation of basic identifiable human needs to the extent that they inflict harm 
or create a, quote, substantial risk of serious harm, and they are enacted with deliberate indifference by prison personnel. So there you go. That's I your think we need, we need some new research because it was my understanding that being around other people was essential. Right. Well, and with and how how does science get put into law? It doesn't. It is. What are we basing it off of feelings? How we feel about it. Yeah. So with limited exceptions, the Supreme Court and lower federal courts have really had a very narrow application of those two standards. In particular, courts have been discounted. um, They have discounted the effects of general mental health pain caused by extreme isolation. It is dismissed as not being related as substantial risk or serious harm. So how do you feel about that as a mental health counselor? (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think just like them, I don't want to base it just on feelings because that usually doesn't turn out well. But if the whole point of prison is rehabilitation and we want people to integrate. Is that the point? Damaging. I mean, I don't know. What is the point? What is the point of prison? I guess we need to start with there. But if people are coming out so damaged that they can't function in society, I mean, that doesn't help them. That doesn't help society. And they're probably going to just end up back in prison, in the prison system, which costs a lot of money. And is, and not- is horribly it's- racially unjust and is like over. There's so much inherent racism that makes the prison system target um uh, minority individuals and uh uh social lower socioeconomic status like there's so much that like it is creating i mean the only thing i can honestly think of is like generational trauma that's going to like come more generational trauma over and over yeah additional additional disparities yeah maybe institutional institutionalized generational trauma um so from that research uh the neuroscientist community says that solitary confinement is in and of itself cruel and unusual punishment even under those standards okay um, they think that they're they need to have a profound rethinking of solitary confinement and how it's being discussed. So the reality of solitary confinement in the U.S. is pretty notorious. It is it is ha- has been commonly used. Legal and psychological literature accounts have there's so many stories of people who are forced into extreme isolation 22 23 hours for indefinite time frames no meaningful social contacts um often in in not good conditions and presumably um it's to meet a disciplinary security or safety related need so it's considered legitimate so they do it to punish for bad behavior or to protect that person or protect other people. That's mm-hmm. like kind of the reasoning behind it. Correct. Yep. So that being said, there is no uniform regulation or consistent administration of solitary confinement across states. 
which is just baffling. Like, okay, so even, okay, so that previous description, okay. How can you just allow that to be at the discretion of the prison, which is typically how it falls? It'll end up going to the specific prison administrations, like how they choose to administer it. Right. Instead of like the court system or something like I that. I mean, not like I'm a fan of the court system in making decisions for mental health either or confidentiality, but I think, or even just having some sort of like, here's procedures that we expect a minimum, like, I don't know if department of health will come in and do like an audit on safety for a building. Like, why wouldn't you do an audit of safety for how you're, treating people who have no right. I think it's you know, out of sight, out of mind that. Which is like a lot of bad shit that goes on in prisons and nobody keeps an eye on it, on it, regulates. Right. Well, in institutionalization for mental health was, um, you know, every, everybody did it and nobody thought it was a big deal to just isolate people off. And I did that one topic where there's literally an Island that they would boat people off to. So mm -hmm. they weren't in, in the public's eye. We and, have an Island here in Washington. I mean, not for that, but right. for sex offenders. Right. Right. And we do a topic on that sometime. That would be interesting. It's called Rikers. Right down. Rikers. Rikers. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, has been so with mental health it's been deemed not okay anymore but it's closer right like i could have a family member who has a mental health condition and there's probably more people who are connected so it became more visual i don't know and and it was it's not a thing anymore not like that was handled well either but I think we just keep doing things like we've been doing them unless somebody creates a fuss or there's a big problem. Well, and it's like, That's... what, what defines a problem even? It could be because there's been so many things that come up as a problem that well, don't get addressed. To, I think that people are lazy and don't want to change things or they're set in their ways or they are in a position of power and don't want to lose it. I, mean, I think there's so many factors that keep us just doing the same kind of thing. Like we don't they, like change as people. They keep the the very white upper class middle-aged men from making good decisions. Yeah. <laughs> in our country. There's a, a lot in play with that. And so it yeah. change, it takes people like just being really loud and kind of blowing up the system. Right. Make it uncomfortable for those white middle-aged or older financially well-off people the cishet white males making yes. all the decisions for this country correct so okay <laughs> oh i went on i we tangented all right so no regulations um the administration is very arbitrary like how it gets used is often just kind of off the cuff um for what they decide they want to do. This has led to a lot of um, abuses of it and misuses of it. And th there have been some reforms in certain jurisdictions with recommendations by the uh, Department of Justice and National Associations, um, which there is a website that I kind of went through and um, a lot of 
really interesting articles about advocacy in that way. Uh, but basically talking about reducing, like having a maximum amount of time that can be spent in extreme isolation or by banning the use of solitary confinement for more vulnerable prison populations, including people with mental uh, mental health conditions or juveniles. Um, so like at least being considerate of how long the conditions that they're in um, yeah. and who is going in there. I think um, the consistency would... Yeah, right. sort of a step in the right direction because that'll take some of the the feels out of it, right? Because I can imagine someone sent there because they, you know, broke the rules and maybe they talk back or like go for a swing on the guard and they're like, oh, now you're in for two more days, you know? Right, it can be, yeah, right, right. But it says progress is really uh, limited and very inconsistent. So it's they like adult timeout. <laughs> Yeah, like go stand in the corner. Like you wouldn't put your kid in there for five months. Well, <laughs> some parents might. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so the American State Correctional Association uh, in 2018 indicated that the number of people forced into isolation has decreased in two dozen of the states. However, in 11 other states, it has increased. So it's just. Can you depends. name a couple of the states that it's gone down or gone up? It doesn't have, I could bounce over to that. They, that did come from a specific article. Um, let me, I'll follow up on that. Okay. Um. So, I mean, why is that even a thing? Why is deprivation the thing that we're like, how do we punish someone? Deprivation. How is that a thing? Why is punishment even a thing? Yeah. I mean, there's, I don't think there's much research that shows that that works to create behavior change. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to, again, go back to like the foundational reason, like why do we even have prisons? Like, what is the point of it? So the constitutional standard um, under the Eighth Amendment has a ban on cruel and unusual punishments. So this is the one thing that has kind of been one pillar to stand on for this. Um, the Supreme Court established in the case of Estelle that conditions of confinement, including solitary confinement, amount to cruel and unusual punishment, provided that they result in an unnecessary and wanton, interesting word, um, wanton? infliction of pain. Like wanton soup? I guess it is spelled that way. Hmm. So this deprivation of basic identifiable human need to the extent that they inflict harm or substantial risk of harm with a deliberate indifference. Um, so this can be very subjective. Uh, and that's where they're kind of like some states have increased, others have gone down. It probably depends who is with, within those court systems ruling on these cases as well for what the prison is going because if uh, if they keep getting rolled against and having these cases against them they're going to do less of it but if it right. goes in the favor of the system then they're not going to change it right and if you i mean we know this from working with kids like if you're using punishment too much people just stop caring right well and i did the i talked about like when you say no not to do something people are more likely to do it <laughs> so, yeah. like so, I've worked with so many parents where they're just like 
they are just trying so hard to gain control over this kid's behavior. You know, they take everything out of the room, they take their door off and it's like, right. When, when people have nothing to lose, they don't care anymore. So that, that approach just doesn't work. They're already in prison. (laughs) Right. Like it already sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think it's complicated for sure. I mean, there's no easy answer, especially if somebody, you know, people that offend against children, I've heard that like they are targets for people trying to kill them in prison. So what does that mean? More security, more money, you know, that's probably not in the cards with our current system. So they put them by themselves. Right. Well, and that's where, so um, with those Supreme Court like definitions, part of it is what is defined as cruel and unusual and uh, because that's part of how they figure out if it's okay or not. And the first approach of assessing that is to look at the severity of the crime that's committed. So it's cruel and unusual when it's excessive, when it's excessive length or severity is greatly disproportionate to the offenses charged. Such very, very subjective. Such judgments must be made with consideration to the evolving standard of decency that marks the progress of a maturing society. What What is that standard? Tell me. The evolving, it? well, they literally say evolving standard <laughs> of decency. So we have a subjective moving target. Awesome. A subjective moving target <laughs> of a growing society uh, that will change. Okay. <laughs> and um, it's based on the severity of the offenses charged. So this is what's interesting too, is it's used all the time as punishment within the prison, not just as a, like, this is your confinement for your crime. Right. So therefore, would that technically be excessive for anybody who wasn't initially charged with it? Right. Which takes it back to like the courts where there is some precedent, even though it's that still wildly varies too right where you know your sentence could be all over the place compared to the crimes of other people that were similar right right um what are we doing what are we doing here no i don't know it's like a real dumpster fire if you ask me <laughs> yeah 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 so this narrowness let's just i mean yeah for just for the sake of it keep going a bit so the yeah. now basic human need that that okay. phrase uh supreme court has generally stated that constitutional protections that relate to conditions of confinement following a criminal conviction derived from this acknowledgement prisoners retain the essence of human dignity inherent in all persons and that through incarceration quote society takes from prisoners the means to provide their own needs therefore a prison that derives prisoners of basic sustenance is incompatible with the concept of human dignity and has no place in civilized society so mm-hmm. they understand basic need as a as an identifiable minimal life necessity which includes Food, water, shelter, exercise, medical care, and sanitation. Not socialization. That's not in there. So it has mostly to do with physical needs um, to stay alive. So again, we're separating that mental health and physical health. Mm -hmm. And 
there's so little because in order to do research on populations as you know you have to get things approved through the the IRB, the Institutional Review Board, um, you would have to, I, I did a, in my doctoral program, one of the students wanted to do research on recidivism rates and trying to, he had to change his entire, he spent almost a year trying to just get approvals from the prison to do this study and ended up falling through. Because it would so, have been too much of an expose. Is that why? They, they just, I mean, they put, it was mostly like the amount of hoops that were required. They made it where it just wasn't possible um, to meet their requirements. And, and that's how you filter out research you don't want. So you start to like, see how right. data can be skewed very easily yeah. for people who are actually in it. So we often hear it after the fact from those who get released. What about the people that aren't? And we have no mice representatives on the IRB board. These mice need representation. They need representation. Nothing right. about us without us, right, mice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Imagine the mice in the background squeaking their agreement. Whole bunch so that, of mice back there. Basic mice needs, I mean human needs, must result in substantial risk or serious harm. So it's measured by whether society considers the risk to be so grave that it violates contemporary standards of decency to expose anyone unwillingly to such a risk. So standards of decent, of decent welfare that anyone would be okay with. And none of this sounds like anyone would be okay with this. I don't think so anyone's right. signing up for this. Right. So they're obviously leaning a hard direction on this, which is that food, water, like a, like those objective things. And I um, think food also is very, you know. Right. Because they're saying that would be starvation. So the harm that would be caused, starvation, thirst, disease from poor hygiene. But again, it's all physical. They don't care about someone's mental health impacts, which I don't understand how that's not like I could be physically well and not mentally well yeah. and, and have far more impact on my life. Can't okay. Separate the mind and body. I think those are just really old views that are still at play and they're impacting laws and public policies. WTF. WTF. Such exceptions is grounded in the idea that mental illness renders people more vulnerable to the harmful effects of extreme isolation. So there was a case of Madrid versus Gomez, where the federal district court likened the placement of persons with mental illnesses in solitary confinement to, quote, putting someone who is asthmatic in a place with little air to breathe. Um, although the court recognized that prolonged isolation and scarce environment can cause psychological trauma, so they recognize that. Um, and they recognize that it could cause it with people who have no history of mental health conditions too. So they, they acknowledge that. And they said, quote, for many inmates, it does not appear that the degree of mental injury suffered significantly exceeds the kind of generalized psychological pain that courts have found compatible with the eight amendment standards. So they're basically saying that we are okay. We understand that and we are okay with it. That is what that means. 
we? Who are these people? Society, decent society has decided that it is okay to torture people to this level of extent. Not people, inmates. Is I feel like I wasn't given a vote in this. Nobody asked me. Nobody has ever asked me either. I you no, know survey monkey sent to me on this. No, no. And so that subjective, deliberate indifference of uh, prison guards is another vague thing, um, which means it requires that state official to know of and disregard excessive risks to an inmate's health or safety. Therefore, the official must both be aware of the facts and uh, be doing something that they basically would cause more infliction and punishment around that. So all that, all you have to do is say, I didn't know that would happen, which they wouldn't because it's mental health. Like, of course, the guard wouldn't know the psychological impact of not providing the, you know, being, I don't know. Like, it just, it's. I always thought you weren't allowed to fall back on ignorance. <laughs> I know. They say that when you the get right pulled thing. over. <laughs> when you get pulled over. Ignorance doesn't get you out of the right. ticket. Right. Exactly. Oh, I didn't know the speed limit was that. But that's literally built in. Yeah, like, it's built in. And that's what I think some of the issue, not some of the, like, uh, in the cases of police uh, violence, um when when people do get pulled over and uh like with some of the the recent cases with black men specifically being killed um and it's like the i had every right to do what i was doing because i oh i don't know what just happened because i was protecting myself and and i didn't know i didn't know that i was suffocating him i didn't know yeah that's not a viable excuse i don't think and in any realm but it said it literally says that the proof of the official's awareness or disregard can rely completely on circumstantial evidence um like they can just it doesn't have to be factual that they didn't know they can just be circumstantial like i imagine if we were able to use that in our day-to-day life well i didn't know i didn't know i I didn't know. know sorry my bad yeah, but like you're literally doing something that you know is harmful. Like that that's it's like it has to be both, which is messed up. Like I can do something that I know harms people, but I can, you know, just pr- be ignorant or say that I didn't and right. What? 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 What is happening? What? Okay, so there's a lot of interest in this area to try to find something different how do how do you protect interests of of prisoners inmates um how do you do that like you're not as an advocate right well i heard a talk recently i went to colorado last month and there was some people that had been incarcerated, transgender um, women of color that were incarcerated that spoke about their experience. And Mm. somebody at one point said something and it was just like, it was so simple and obvious and like, it should be a no brainer, but I just think we're so ingrained in like, well, we've always done it this way. So this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. This person was like, we don't have to have prisons. 
like this is a choice we're making and i was like wow we don't have to have prisons like they're i mean of course this is a complete system overhaul but we don't have to have this system that is clearly flawed in so many ways yeah let's kick the table over macy let's kick the table over because then you get statements like this from the courts that's frustrating like there's one where the plaintiff had endured mental suffering due to placement in a supermax confinement, observing that he had repeatedly banged his head against the wall of the cell. So the officer saw this. Um, it was acknowledged that it was a concerning situation. The court demonstrated its unwillingness to interfere with the management of this, which the management was, they didn't do anything um, because they said, quote, Prison authorities must be given considerable latitude in the design of measures for controlling homicidal maniacs without exacerbating their manias beyond what is necessary for security. It is a delicate balance. How? What? What's a year of that quote? It seems like there's a lot of dated language. That was was from Scarver versus Litcher um, court case, the Seventh Circuit Court. Um, It is really... I mean, again, there's still so much stigma around mental health in general and just that sentiment. Are, are we calling like, people maniacs still? That was that was in the legal court documents. Um, they, it's basically like, well, they have the right to defend themselves however they see fit. Hmm. Uh, but again, I, I think that goes down to what you're just saying there is, but that doesn't mean that we're doing the right thing in the first place. Yeah. And it speaks to that kind of hands-off attitude. Like those outside prison kind of like, hey, out of sight, out of mind. You do you. I don't want to know about it. You have your latitude, quote unquote, whatever the hell that means. I, yeah. Latitude. I mean, I mean, I get so like we've both been in crisis situations involving mental health and like, yes, there is a lot of quick decision making that has to happen. But we're like trained for that. <laughs> and yeah. and you know very well that if you go into crisis work, that there is risk involved. And you also know that you can't violate the other person's rights. However, if your safety become like if somebody is trying to attack me I can protect myself. However, I need to, to do that. Um, guidelines though that we follow. This right. seems like it's just wide open. Like we're just right. keeping and the door this open. Is, this is a power and authority situation. Like there's a closed door between you. You see someone who's having a severe mental health crisis, smashing their head against the wall and you do nothing. That is not harm to you. That is harm that goes to, back to Aren't they supposed to take care of their physical health? That seems... Like a physical well, health issue. That is their lateral decision-making, I guess. Um, I think the latitude is too wide. Too latitudinal. Too and, latitudinal. And my, like my dad shared back when he did this for 20 years as a guard, not this, but he worked in the system as a guard. And yeah. one of his biggest issues was all of a sudden they were like, you know, we need more um, funding to support the guards and that which sounds great but then they gave them all SWAT gear 
um, which is very dangerous and trained none of them on how to use it. So then all of a sudden you have all these guards um, who are all pumped up on, I can protect myself now. Um, I can hurt you now. And no training on how to use it appropriately, let alone ethically. So it's oh it's so <laughs> the answer to problems with power and authority is let's increase the power and authority. Right. Okay. So in summary, uh, we know that there is a relationship between the brain, the social environment, um, and our world is built around systems and our systems control, can control our social environments, having a direct systemic impact to people's mental health and uh, prison systems are just kind of a microcosm of and uh, being able to show how true that that is and I think brings up multiple points of one knowing that that even matters uh, in general and and then also a huge um, you know human rights issue mm-hmm. yeah and I have no answer. People and then expect them to reintegrate in society. It's a real problem. What did you ask me? I want to find this. Um, uh, you asked me uh the rates of. Oh yeah, which states are like increasing? Which states right, are right, decreasing? Right. Maybe just a couple examples of each. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna look that up real quick. It's just, it's just interesting that this is still on the table. I guess. I mean, it's not even just on the table. It's... Like, it's still happening. It's just so interesting to me. Okay. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but I I don't feel like we've nailed it. I don't think we're, we're there. We've arrived. Okay, here's one stat. There's about 122,840 people in federal and state adult prisons and federal local jails um, who were placed in restrictive housing um, or solitary confinement for 22 hours or more on a given day in 2019. So 122,840 people are put in solitary confinement for 22 hours or more on any given day. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, Okay, so let me see here. I I got a map of the U.S., share of prisoners in solitary confinement what state is that hold on there's one state that is a lot oh um which one are you i don't know my state's well enough we learned this from uh we're very bad at state recognition oh thank goodness i tapped it and popped up nevada (laughs) nevada okay nevada in 2019 uh they had 12202 um prisoners and prisoners in solitary confinement they had 3140 which was 25.7 percent of the total population of the prison they need to learn some different strategies nevada we have 16,613 people in prisons in 2019 in washington and 785 in solitary which is 4.7 percent in comparison to that nevada 25.7 percent Okay, but I I'm surprised that we have so many. Really, I mean, um, we think of ourselves as sort of a progressive state. Virginia, I yeah, I agree. Virginia has one of the lower ones. 
they had 29,994 prisoners uh, with 521 in solitary, and that's 1.7%. Okay. So there you go. I'm glad you said the percentage was also low because I was going to say, well, Virginia is like one of those really tiny states, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. Like the percentage, a little sliver. The percentage matters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> percentage yeah. matters. <laughs> <sighs> there you go. All right. Well, what can we do? I mean, write our legislators. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think everybody says, but they don't. I think it's kind of like, I honestly don't, I dove into this topic and there is no clear avenue other than if something has happened to you, seek a lawyer. So it goes to court. Yeah. Cause like it's, it, the only thing that seems to matter right now are the court cases because those court cases that, that happen um, and are based on human rights, if it goes in that favor of the person, then it can actually be used again to support that next case and then to support the next case unless there is a larger law made but in this country good fucking luck like getting a what a federal federal yeah Yeah, like good luck i mean maybe we could make some progress like at our state level i don't know more research needed too though so research is out there Right, right right and i think that's um to me it's like there's there's enough there's enough research. Like, we know it does things. It so. seems like it'd be a slam dunk research project. Get published. Come on, grad students out there. Washington, how to advocate for, because um, really this has to do with just prisoner rights in general in Washington state. So there is the, in Washington, Um is the Human Rights Watch prisoner resources they will um they help uh they give right away the uh address to to write letters and send complaints oh, really? to um yeah that was actually where to go AC, yeah, the aclu of washington p.o box 4115 okay. seattle washington 98194 phone number 206-624-2184 aclu so the Bill of Rights would only be well-meaning promises if people did not fight to protect it. The ACLU is the nation's premier organization in defending and expanding all civil liberties and rights in America. Our job is to conserve America's original civic values, the Constitution, and the Constitutional Bill of Rights. And so then it has a bunch of different projects and different ways and websites that you can go click on to learn more. So actually, that's great. Um, maybe you does some cool shit. Yeah, and that was pretty easy. So uh, I'm going to look into that more. And if you don't live in Washington State, Google is your friend um, in this context. So just yeah, ACLU you know, is nationwide. So you have your own ACLU. Yeah, you have your little subcategory. So it Google it. All right, powers within our hands. We have to have hope. See, I was starting to feel defeated, and I'm like, good, good luck. Uh, but like, you always got to pivot to action. You got to take all that right. and do right. something. Do it's something the only way, or else that we'll get that hopelessness and helplessness. Right, and then people won't do it, and then it becomes bystander effect. You expect everyone else to do it for you. Okay, um, our I last think- episode. <laughs> we didn't listen to it. Uh, what did I talk about? Oh, mosquitoes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, mm-hmm. check it out. We talked about genetically engineered mosquitoes. It's super scary. 
Um, please support us financially on our Patreon. It's only a dollar and you get all kinds of exclusive videos and other exciting things. And give us a positive review and some stars, five stars, positive review. It'd be great. Mm -hmm. Every little bit matters. <laughs> Until next time. Until, oh gosh. Until next time. How about less latitude and more attitude? How am I supposed to follow that? Um, <laughs> until until next time on. Until next time. Oh gosh, I'm stuck. My brain's all stuck in my topic. Let me let me have a moment. I need a moment. You can just do right to your ACLU. That'd be good. I mean, do that. And until next time. Um, challenge your um, cisgender heteronormative white male asshole. Cis white males. I mean, there's some good ones out there, I'm sure, but there's the power structure is all askew. Question them. You can question really anybody. I trust no one. Question everything. It's fine. That's right. 100%. Bye. Bye. There's the power structure is all askew. Question them. You can question really anybody. I trust no one. Question everything. It's fine. That's right. 100%. Mm -hmm.